It was almost real, the Pro Pro Wrestling History Podcast, episode 36. Hello and welcome to this episode of It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast. My name is Ken Zimmerman Jr. and I've already fumbled the opening of this thing, so hopefully it gets much better from here. But this is the podcast dedicated to the history of professional wrestling between 1870 and 1920. Although sometimes we stretch into the 1930s and today we're really going to stretch because we're going to stretch up into the 1980s and that. But again, I'm joined by my uh, fellow co-host here. Dangerous Dan Zimmerman is back in studio with me today, and we're going to discuss a wrestling documentary that Dan actually discovered on YouTube that we think is uh, well worth the watch. Mm-hmm. And before we get into that main content, I had I forgot to tell you this story Friday, and I thought this would be a perfect story for the podcast. Okay. Because I learned a long time ago, the only difference between genius and stupidity is genius has its limits. Mm-hmm. So I quit watching and listening to the news and reading the news several years ago because I was tired of all the extremism on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so normally I never watch news. And at work when I was eating lunch last week, I'd see this little ticker because normally during lunch I do research. So I was reading some of the, in the old newspaper ar- archives. Mm-hmm. And as I was just getting ready to uh, finish up, I saw this thing that said breaking news, which I always click on that to see what that is. And it yeah. was Senator Dianne Feinstein dying at Pied, nine yeah. years of age last week. And our condolences to her family. I didn't agree with Senator Feinstein very much, but mm-hmm. I respected her a lot. And um, the things she did when San Francisco was in such a... Tough time after that murderous rampage mm-hmm. down in the sit court, our city hall. I, I think everyone should respect her for that. So our condolences to the family. So I read that article, and I was getting ready to get off, and I saw this other article, and it was about man confronts striking workers at this Detroit auto plant. Because you know the UAW is on yeah. strike right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, this is weird. So I clicked on that. Mm-hmm. First thing I did before I click on any new article ever, is this from a legitimate news source? Exactly, yeah. Because there are so many sites out there today. The first thing I do is look at that sky. And if I see sports skeeta or some nonsense yes. like that, I just skip over it because mm-hmm. the story will be nothing like the headline, that clickbait headline. Exactly. But this <clears> one actually was from a... I think it was from the AP. Uh-huh. And it was well worth the read. So we're going to call this couple... Mr. and Mrs. Dumbstick. Okay. Okay. Uh, we should so, tell them something else if we weren't on the Yes, <laughs> yes. So I, I had to clean it up for the podcast. So this guy is driving through by where all these workers are striking at this UAW plant. Mm-hmm. Stops his SUV in the middle of the street and gets out and begins verbally berating the strikers. This one guy. Why? Because he's stupid. There's a couple of <laughs> guys standing right. out there. Probably guys and girls, but, you know, they're standing yeah. out there striking. And he starts berating them up to and including using racial slurs. 
Oh, so this is a class citizen. He's an upstanding pillar of the community, huh? Jackass. <laughs> so, they don't even beat him up over that. This moron tries to snatch one of the signs from the strikers. At which point, about five or six guys begin pummeling him about the head and shoulders. And you know these auto workers aren't little guys. No. Kick him in the behind in the general direction of his SUV and tell him to get out of there. Now, yeah. I can tell you as a self-defense instructor for 20 years, the first thing I tell all my students is the best self-defense in the world mm-hmm. is the one you don't have to use. Right. So you don't put yourself in a situation where you could have some kind of confrontation. Mm-hmm. This dummy, it, let me tell you something. If you get out and challenge a couple hundred people to a fight and you don't end up in the hospital or the morgue, it is because they were showing great restraint. Yes. They, they could have killed a guy. Oh, yeah, they could They just pummeled him a couple times, kicked <laughs> him in the butt. I think they were more amused that this guy is so stupid than anything else. Right. Well, seeing her significant other out there uh, beaten about the head and shoulders and kicked in the general direction of their vehicle, uh-huh. Mrs. Dumbstick decides to jump out of the car and let them workers know what she thinks of them, too. Oh, Lord. So, one of the auto workers stand there holding a sign, and this is paper on a thin stick. Uh-huh. It just, whop, right on top of the head. Of the <laughs> Mrs. Dumbstick, who has a little bit more sense than the husband, stops her rant in mid-rant and goes back and gets in the SUV. Okay, so she's a little bit smarter than her husband, at least, a significant other. Or and, and now Mr. Dumbstick has crawled back to the vehicle, and he's gotten in, too. And he takes off before the police get there. But the best part of this whole story, you talk about burying the lead. Uh-huh. The last sentence in this story was, witnesses said there were several children in the back seat of the SUV. Oh, my God. So what were these people trying to prove to their kids that they were, you know. And, and these, these poor kids. <laughs> you got to hope that it skips the generation, this level of stupidity. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> because... Could you imagine these poor kids, probably traumatized, that's oh, horrible, yeah, absolutely. are sitting back there watching their father get out and start using racial slurs at a couple hundred people? Mm-hmm. I don't know how that could turn out wrong. Oh, and, and the mom gets out and starts running her gums and hits her over the head with the sign. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the auto workers, give them credit. They showed great restraint in yeah. that situation because they, they could have hospitalized or killed the guy. I mean, Right, yeah. But I just, when I read stuff like that, I'm like, there's just no level to stupidity. No. I I can remember people looking at me with a perfectly straight face, telling the most wild story you've ever heard, and looking at you like it's all completely plausible in that. Mm-hmm. And then when you start picking holes all through it, like, uh, did you think you could beat up 200 people? Mm-hmm. Do you think it was wise to do this? Do you realize that throwing racial slurs in there, if you had hit somebody, you could have been charged with a hate crime and got your butt kicked? Right. Then they get mad at you because you broke holes in their ridiculous story. They have a victim's mentality. Oh, I didn't do anything. It was all their fault. I was just expressing my opinion, and they beat me up. You know what? You're, you, you, they will spin it to the point where they were in the right and everybody else was wrong. We have, uh, well, we um, anybody that knows our family, we have a couple of those in our our family. We have, oh. We're not going to mention, but it's always it's never their fault. It's always somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> and that's it. Just when I read that story, I'm like, oh, I got to tell Dan this one. They're, they're, 
The only difference between genius and stupidity, genius has its limits. That's right. And I tell you what, I would have. I wish somebody would have got a video of that lady getting bonked on the head. I would love to see the video of the whole thing. Right. Jeez. Oh, Two hundred auto workers here. Nobody's got their video, their camera on. Right. <laughs> oh, people, I use do. some sense. It. You could disagree with the out being striking. You could. Yeah. But is this the way to go about it? No. Maybe write a letter to the editor. You know. Yeah, do something. Yeah, you don't have to get out and berate these. Of course, you know that, I'm probably showing my age there. Probably nobody writes a letter to the editor anymore. Would they no. post something on a blog or? Well, and you know the thing about striking is, and I'm sure that some of them wanted to strike, and I'm sure there's some that didn't agree with the strike, but it's solidarity. Yeah, they're in a union. They decided to strike, so we stand with our brothers. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. So yeah, you know. I still to this day have never crossed a picket line. No, me neither. Growing up in a, a union household, no matter mm-hmm. whether I agree with the strike or not, that was just something I could have told my dad just about anything, and I think he would have forgiven me. Mm-hmm. But if I had crossed a picket line, I don't think he would have ever forgiven me for that. Well, luckily, there was only, uh, when I was working for a union, we had one strike. and It only lasted a few days. I took a three-day vacation because, like you said, I wasn't going to cross the picket line. So, you know, but it was uh, United. Oh, yeah, because your dad was a uh, union, too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was good. And I don't know if the stationary engineers ever went on strike when dad was uh, working for him. But I was working for the um, uh, grocery workers union. Yeah. Uh, 655 in St. Louis. And they went on strike one time. Yeah, that was the one union I belonged to, too. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Dad, Ernest Charles Diaz's dad, mm-hmm. um, he was a garment industry worker for his whole life. And yeah. He just, if there was a strike at the local grocery stores, we knew we're not crossing that picket line. Right. There exactly. ain't no way Dad's going to do that. Uh-uh. So. But, boy, we went far afield of 350 days. We haven't even started yet. <laughs> That's all right. And in mean, and, and full disclosure, we're kind of going back in time to go forward in time again. We're recording this a little bit out of order. We're doing episode 35 tomorrow. We're going to have Caleb back in the studio, but you will mm-hmm. hear this in order. So this episode will come out actually after that one's released. This is a, a bonus episode. This is the third one we're doing. Oh, okay. This and, is a bonus episode. Okay. Yeah, this is the bonus episode. And I need to talk to you and Caleb because I'm thinking about doing more episodes next year than we did this year, but I need to make sure it works with your guys' schedule. I could always do a single episode, but I think the numbers are telling me that people enjoy it more when it's a couple of us as okay, opposed to Okay, sure, absolutely. Just me. Have you gotten any hate letters yet? No, I since haven't. I, since I offended... Uh, since we've tried to offend everybody that we possibly could. <laughs> you know, I was more like that when I was younger. I haven't gone out of my way to offend people in quite a while. Right. So. Well, you know, in fact, that, that came up in a conversation the other day about how you've, you've kind of mellowed since you became a papa. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. The boys have definitely mellowed me out quite a bit. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> 350 days. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I wanted to point out is 350 days is more a territory schedule Mm-hmm. When they went with the national expansion in the 80s, it was still crazy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was 300 days, but they were on planes then right. as opposed to cars. Mm-hmm. Most of what they were talking about in this uh, documentary 
were the territory days and the days of being in the car and driving around everywhere. Um, Wendy Richter probably would have been in more planes because uh, the lady wrestlers were an attraction that booked around the country. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the national expansion, once it started, Ted DiBiase and a few of the others would have been doing a lot of the national expansion. But Don Fargo and all those guys talking about that, and Brett in his early career in the 70s, Mm -hmm. Calgary was a massive territory. Oh, yeah, it was. Like Louisiana, West Texas, Mm -hmm. where you were going to be doing crazy long car trips. Yeah. And, you know, there was, uh, speaking of how big some of the territories were like that, you had really small territories out west. Yeah. And I... And I, I don't understand that why it was. I mean, you had San Francisco, you had Portland, you had a lot of little, you know, uh, I'm not going to, I don't want to say dinky and offend anybody, but these smaller little promotions that lasted for years, right. but they was in like one or two cities. But they were popular because of that. Mm-hmm. So I looked at Oregon, um, I watched one of the shows from the 80s in Oregon, and they actually ran just about every night like they did in Tennessee and that. Oh, okay, uh-huh. But it's because they went to all those small towns around. Mm-hmm. They wrestled in every armory and high yes. school. And yeah. yeah. I didn't see any Washington towns. It was all Oregon. So they would do Salem and Klamath Falls, and, mm-hmm. which I think Klamath Falls is on the east side. But most of them were... I think it's in that high plain desert area. Yeah. yeah. Most of the places were within short driving distance. That was a selling point for San Francisco and for Portland. Oh, okay. And for... Uh, Rob, Robert Fuller's territory. Not Robert, Ron Fuller's territory. Mm-hmm. Um, Knoxville. Oh, okay, yeah. Because yes, everything yeah. was in close driving distance. You know, you could mm-hmm. drive, be home in an hour and a half, two hours. It wasn't like Louisiana. Where so you, they could make their midnight shift at Denny's when they got through wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like Louisiana. Louisiana was one of the worst because mm-hmm. you'd have 400 miles between towns yeah. and... The highway system wasn't that developed yet. You had alligators on the highway, too. Yeah. And they were saying that it was a lot of two-lane highways, which mm-hmm. is always scary. Well, like uh, or Highway 61, before 55 came yes. in, Mom and Dad, they would travel down south to see her parents and his parents. And they said every week there'd be a body lying on the highway covered because of a bad wreck. Yep. And this was the type of thing they were facing in Louisiana and stuff, mm-hmm. too. So that's one of the things they talked about, uh, one of the perils. I think that this documentary did a good job of disproving the glamorous life. I think a lot of people think professional wrestling was. Well, yeah. It's probably more that way today because they have shorter schedules and they're flying everywhere mm-hmm. and the company's paying for most of the stuff. When the 60s, 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. they were still mostly taking care of their own travel. Mm-hmm. Most of it was driving, and a lot of wrestlers, I mean, Billy Wicks, you know, one of the biggest stars ever in the Knoxville Territory, mm-hmm. died in a car accident. Yeah. A lot of those, uh, Moondog Lonnie Main, mm-hmm. a lot of them died in, or small plane crashes. Right, yeah. Bobby Shane. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Uh, was originally from St. Louis, uh, made his name in Florida, mm-hmm. but he died in a, a plane, plane accident. Right, yeah. And it showed to, and we, we can get into the specifics, of what the different people said. And one of the things I noticed, did you notice how many people in that documentary are gone now? It was, mm-hmm. they they were fortunate that they caught everybody, you know, before their Superstar health. Superstar Billy Graham. And Don Fargo. Don Fargo, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about that actually today. Um, 
about because I knew we was doing the podcast today. Remember when me and you would go to the wrestling matches and we were watching these guys? These guys were larger than life. I mean, at one time, we both aspired to be those guys. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine what our lives would be like now? Oh, yeah. If we, we had done that? Well, for one, we could barely walk. Yeah. Well, I can yeah. barely walk now, but... <laughs> <laughs> My knees are in pretty bad shape, but I mean, uh-huh. I do have 30 years of martial arts yeah. behind mm-hmm. me, and, you know, those things, you know, uh, they take their toll. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we wouldn't be able to walk. Um, hopefully we wouldn't have drug addictions because right. one of the things that I would have worried about if we had ever taken part in that lifestyle, be it on the road, the Zimmermans have addictive personalities. Yes, we do. And you have all those temptations of the alcohol and the drugs, which they went into in the 50s and even in the 60s. I think it was mostly drugs. In the 60s, I'm sorry, alcohol. Mm-hmm. Alcohol was the drug of choice. When you get into the 70s and the 80s in particular, and it's cocaine and it's all cocaine. That, yeah. And as I told you, um, I wish I could remember where I heard this at, but they were talking about the early wrestler deaths. Mm-hmm. And I, it wasn't a wrestling podcast, I don't think. It was something else, but they were referenced the early deaths of the wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And they said one of the things they've discovered is a combination of the use of steroids. For physique enhancement, uh-huh. to uh, make your make a bigger presentation for your career. Yeah, you know, bigger guys, even to this day, still do better in the wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we were just talking about him a few minutes ago. Damian Priest uh-huh. is seen as a world title contender. Yeah, I don't think people see Finn Balor as that right now. No, uh-uh, they you don't. Know. I, I don't see Finn Balor as a as a yeah. championship. So being bigger and muscular, definitely. But it was that combination of guys using steroids to enhance their look, to mm-hmm. make themselves a bigger star, and using cocaine on the road to cope, that those two combinations are very deadly for the heart. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because the heart is a muscle, steroids affect muscles, mm-hmm. and cocaine affects the heart as well. Exactly. So the, that combination is particularly bad. Plus... I mean, the Soma use in the 90s was horrible, and that stuff yeah. is terrible for mm-hmm. you. Um, and Paul Orndorff talking about, you know, there's lots of guys. I don't know if you can prove it through studies yet, because I don't think it's been studied enough. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of guys who have used steroids that get cancers and stuff at a relatively young age mm-hmm. that attribute it to steroids. Yeah. Now, the only thing... I think scientifically that would back that up a little bit is if your body is continually in an anabolic state. Yeah. So you're constantly trying to put on mass. Because mm-hmm. even the bodybuilders have figured out you should have periods, you know, mm-hmm. where you're just trying to maintain or maybe you're trying to cut. You shouldn't try to be in an anabolic state all, all the, the time. time. Right. But if, and for professional wrestling, there's no off time. There's still, these guys are trying to keep themselves in an anabolic state right. all the time. When you're in an anabolic state, not only are your healthy cells growing at a more rapid pace, mm-hmm. irregular cells like cancer cells right. are going to grow at a more rapid rate too. That's the only thing I could see in any way possible from a scientific standpoint that might bear that out. But there's not been any real studies done on that. So it's supposition. Nobody can right. know for sure. Well, I think, but I, I think you make a, a very good point there. I mean, I think that we would both be in far worse shape than 
Yeah, we well, are. You know, and you know, we we looked at these guys and now they, today, yeah, you and I would be monsters. Oh yeah, we would. Because in shape, I'm only five ten, but mm-hmm. I'm two thirty yeah. in shape. Mm-hmm. Um, you've always been six two, six three, mm-hmm. and always around three hundred. Yeah. Um, my son Caleb would be a freaking monster. Oh my gosh, six foot kid, two eighty. Could be a time bomb. Yeah. Kid. So. We would be huge today. Mm-hmm. We, I would have been particularly small. Yeah. In the seventies, eighties, and nineties, mm-hmm. you would have been big enough, but yeah. I would not. Yeah. You know, I'd sit on LA night now. <laughs> yeah, but you know, back then I would right. been, I would have been too small to be anything more than you know a handsman talent or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, uh, I remember that you bested me in quite a few of our matches, though that we had. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, legitimacy doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're talking about the steroids, though, from the 70s uh, and, and stuff like that. And then I think some of the guys in the 70s and 80s weren't particularly muscular. No, uh, it was the 80s that that really started. You had Billy Graham in the 70s. Yeah. And there were a couple of... Not, I don't know if you know it, and if you saw the pictures of him, you might pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Don Fargo was a bodybuilder in the 50s. Oh, was he? I did not know that. Probably did not use steroids. Steroids were definitely around in the 60s. Mm-hmm. In the 50s, I'm not sure yet, because the 50s is really when the mm-hmm. Soviets, who were the ones that pioneered it in sports, yeah. really started uh, taking off was in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, that's when they started dominating interla- international yeah. weightlifting and everything. Right. So it might not, Fargo probably was not. Right. And I don't think later on in his career he didn't have that kind of physique, so I don't think that he was. But you could tell in that picture, he was a muscular guy. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, a schlub. He wasn't, but good bodies, when I started watching wrestling, were rare. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's why a Kerry Von Erich or a Ken Patera, once he got, he lost a power lifter build and looked more mm-hmm. like a bodybuilder. Those guys stood out. Because there weren't that many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, By I mean, the mid-80s, when Hogan starts to take off and the Road Warriors become the biggest tag team in wrestling mm-hmm. and everything, that's really, to me, when the steroids take off. And that's when they were, like, recruiting all these bodybuilders to come into wrestling. Yeah, Ted Sting, and Yeah, Sting them. and uh, Rock, who would eventually become the Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. He was Rock, then the Dingo Warrior, then the Ultimate yes. Warrior. Mm-hmm. Those guys were bodybuilders recruited by Rick Bassman in California, recruited specifically for their look, and they could, I mean, Warrior never could wrestle to save his life. No, he Sting got better and learned. Yeah. But they were recruiting bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. You know, Akeem Albrecht in the 90s. Yeah. Great look. Couldn't wrestle. Couldn't wrestle, yeah. Couldn't wrestle out of a paper bag. No. Because just because the guy looks good doesn't mean he's going to be able to pick up working and being able to do the things. And actually, the muscle works against you doing things athletically. Ah, okay. That's why when you see an MMA fight and you'll mm-hmm. see some guy come out there and he'll just look like a Greek god. Yeah. He If he doesn't put you out in the first round, usually he runs out of gas. and he's cut uh, Because muscles, when you're massively muscled like that, mm-hmm. it takes more oxygen. Yeah. So, and they're gassed. Yeah, it, it's it's actually a detriment to go past a certain point mm-hmm. when it comes to putting on the muscle. And you know, and the one that uh, kind of reminds me of that is uh, Tony Atlas in his prime. Remember how yeah. big he was? Yeah, and how stiff he yeah. looked. I, uh-huh. I remember now, I look back on him, and I was like, Tony Atlas, Mr. USA, oh, he's awesome. 
But then you seen him move around the ring, and he was pretty stiff. His yeah, he was. His thighs rub against each other. Yes, and... he was. And I was like, man, but he, like you said, he was massive. But then when you try and watch this guy wrestle, he looks like a, a marionette. Yes. Almost, you know, just. And so a few of the big muscular guys who could wrestle didn't necessarily look like bodybuilders. They looked like muscular guys. Yeah. And I'm thinking of Hacksaw Butch Reed, who I think is one of the most underrated wrestlers. He is. Of all time. He should have never went. Should have never natural. went to WWE and been the natural. <laughs> right. Yep, and that ruined him because people saw him as one way from that point on. Yeah, he, he was a joke. Yep. You know, when he was in the NWA and he was fighting Ric Flair for the titles, those were some great, great matches he had. Yep. You know? Yep, and I loved him in Mid-South. I mm-hmm. thought he was fantastic. Yeah. But then again, like I said, you got guys like Dusty Rhodes is not a roid head. No. Nope. Obviously. Crusher Blackwell. Uh, even some of your Japanese... Uh, Flair started looking better in the mid-80s, but he was kind of chunky. Yeah, he was. I remember Great card, cardio. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and he had some... He had muscle, but he was not muscular. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Harley Race, probably the toughest guy <laughs> in the entire world. He kind of looked like a... Uh, and could wrestle for an hour, but he kind of looked yeah, like, you know, the guy you'd collar. find in the bar. Yeah, he's like the blue-collar yeah. guy that yeah. came down off the mill, you know? Yeah, yeah. if he was... <laughs> On the, uh, the line, you know, putting rivets in a car, you wouldn't think anything of it. Exactly, but yet he but, was a skate. boy, if you'd have messed with him, he God help you. you 15 yeah. ways to Sunday. God help you. Knocked you out with a big left. Oh, man, he had some meat hooks on him. Yeah. Golly. But when I first started watching wrestling in the late 70s, uh-huh. good physiques were unusual. Yeah, exactly. And so it wasn't until the 80s that everybody tried to get all these muscular guys. And to my mind... The best wrestlers were not overly muscular. Ted DiBiase. Yeah. Um, your favorite, Macho Man Randy Savage, mm-hmm. was better when he was leaner than when he bulked, bulked all up. up in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Let me ask you a question here, Ken, because we never uh, really approached this subject before. Do you think it was Vince McMahon's fault? Because he had these penchant for these big muscular guys that the... Uh, and now being a national program like he had, was he uh, instrumental in the steroid use of the 90s, 80s and 90s? Yes, but he didn't encourage anybody to use them. Okay. Who he liked is what encouraged people to use them. Okay. So the fact that he loved Hogan, he loved Paul Orndorff, uh-huh. he loved uh, the Ultimate Warrior, his preference for those bodybuilders, those muscular guys... Yes. Um, which I think Triple H has that preference too because Triple H was a muscular guy. Mm -hmm. I think that preference is what drove it. I gotcha. I never thought Vince McMahon told anybody to come into his office, you need to get on roids. Yeah. But the fact that he seemed to show a preference for the steroid guys, to me, yes, that encouraged other... Basically, if you want to move up the ladder here and be... uh, What was it? What was he use... Um, Championship opportunities? Yes. God, they're doing that in UFC all the time now. It makes me so furious when I hear that. I'm like, that's freaking Vince McMahon's influence. Right? But yeah, I, I think his preference for that type of wrestler mm-hmm. is what did encourage that widespread okay. usage. Yeah. So he definitely had a part in it. And everybody trying to compete with Vince, that's why they start. They at least tried to have some muscle men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in Crockett... You had the Midnight Express. And Dennis Condry was a pretty thick guy. Yeah, he was. But he was not a bodybuilder type. No, not at all. 
they did get Stain, they did get Lex Luger. Mm-hmm. So they did bring in some. Yes. And that was Vince's influence because they were trying to compete with Vince. Mm-hmm. But they tried to say, okay, we're going to have great wrestling, so we're going to have Ric Flair, and we're going to have these guys, but we're going to have some muscle guys, so we're going to have Nikita Koloff. Mm-hmm. We're going to have uh, the Road Warriors. We're going to have Lex Luger and Sting. Mm-hmm. Nikita Koloff, to me, accent ever. the guy um, who was... Muscu- who was muscular, but he wasn't a bodybuilder type, mm-hmm. who would have been world champion had he not been in a car accident with Magnum TA. Oh, he, yes, he was. He was, he was oh, the man. perfect blend of a guy who actually knew how to wrestle because mm-hmm. he had wrestled in high school at least, and I think maybe college. Yeah. And he had a good physique on top of it. And he could he, sell a crowd. I mean, he was. Yes. He fi- had the crowd eating out of Fiery his baby face. Yes. And him and Dusty Rhodes had a lot of uh, good tag matches. They worked well together, had a great chemistry. And, man, that like I said, that I, I'm surprised. I saw the pictures of the car wreck. I'm surprised he didn't actually die in that yes, wreck. Yes, I am too. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, that car wreck looked worse than what Uncle Jimmy was in. And it yeah, killed, it killed, Uncle Jimmy. killed Uncle Jimmy, yeah. But, um, so that's one of the things that struck me in that documentary. Mm-hmm. So first of all, if you wrestled 350 days, you're mm-hmm. not going to have any kind of family life. No, uh-uh. So divorce is being rampant. I disagree completely with Lanny Poffo's take. Yes, there were some marriages that survived. Nikolai Volkov. Yes. And How many years to the same woman? Yes. 47, 57, something yeah, like that? Yeah, and you know, I never heard about Nikolai Stepping out on his wife. No, uh-uh. I think but he But most guys guy. did. Ted DiBiase admits he's oh, got yeah. a very lovely wife that he was in love with, but he stepped out on her like so many other guys did, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? And um, Bret Hart, it's one of the things that ruined his marriage. Um, he got divorced right after his book came out. Mm-hmm. And so many other wrestlers are in that same thing. Sting has said that... That was caught what caused the end of his marriage was the drugs and the alcohol and the women. Uh-huh. So it takes that being on the road 350 days, I don't care. Yes, it has much more to do with your habits on the road because mm-hmm. Owen Hart didn't do that. Well, and But you- there aren't many people in the world that could resist that temptation yeah. When you're so far away from, I mean, the mental stress on these guys has to be, particularly right. in that day and age. So realize, today you have a contract. Yeah. Now, they can opt out of it after 90 days if you work for WWE. Yeah. Um, but there's probably something in there about injuries and stuff that uh, I think all, what that does is puts a stop on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you get hurt, they're paying your bills, you've got insurance, but it, you... It adds yes. on to the end of your contract. Mm-hmm. So if I blow out my knee and I'm out 10 months, 10 months gets added on to the end of my contract, yes, which may or may not be good. But mm-hmm. So I don't think Tony Khan would do that to anybody. He probably just pays them all. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, we probably we bagged on Tony Khan pretty hard, and he deserves it. But I will say this. I think as owners of a wrestling company go, he's probably the most human of all of them, and he does try to take care of his people. He does, yeah. So um, I wish he would be a better booker, quite honestly, because I would like to see AEW succeed. Yeah. Well, I would too. It's much better when you have a couple of companies than one company. Yes, because that way nobody has a monopoly and you're not seeing the same guys night 
after night. I'm, like we was discussing, I'm excited that Adam Copeland is in AEW. Yes. Because he was one of my favorite, well, when, became, when he became rated our superstar, yeah. uh, I really started enjoying watching his shows, uh, his, his matches. Now he's in AEW, and I, I hope he succeeds. I hope they put it together a good storyline for him, but for me, it's just hard to watch an AEW program yeah. right now. Because it's so schizophrenic. Yeah. You'll have something good with just absolute garbage all around. Mm-hmm. It's it's very difficult to watch. But you could, I think today, only wrestling a couple days a week and basically being home a lot. And yeah. That, yes, you could have a successful family life in yeah. today's professional wrestling environment. Mm-hmm. Well, that was almost impossible in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and mm-hmm. 80s. Most of the people are not going to be able to resist the temptations of the road. Yeah. And because you're away, there's all this stress on you. Your body's beat to hell. Yeah. Because, yes, the uh, and they made a good point of this in the 350 days, why I've never, ever said wrestling is fake. Remind me of that. I want to come back to that because okay. I had a thought about that today. Okay. Um, it's prearranged. Well, yeah, absolutely. So the outcomes are predetermined. Mm-hmm. But the damage they're taking, mm-hmm. entertaining people and doing these things is real. And one oh, of the absolutely. guys said that it was either Ted DiBiase or Don Fargo. One of the guys in there said, yes, the the outcome is prearranged. Mm-hmm. But, but getting the, to the, the, end. the bumps we're taking yeah. are real. Mm-hmm. When we were kids, mm-hmm. there was a big stigma with being a wrestling fan. Yeah. Sometimes you would hide it from people because people just thought you were an idiot if you liked yeah, wrestling. Because it was all for meatheads and for people who are dumb and don't can't, can't right. tell it's fake and blah, blah, and blah. And my, my dad hated the fact that Vicky and I loved wrestling. Mm-hmm. Because to him it was that old fake crap. Because he was a boxing fan. Yeah. That's most of the time a legitimate contest. Yeah. They haven't taken dives since the 50s. Mm-hmm. The way you fix a fight today, you fix the judges. Yeah. And that happens way too often. You'll see a fight that it's obvious to anybody that knows anything about boxing. Mm-hmm. One fighter dominated and that fighter will lose 9 out of the 12 rounds of the scorecard. Because that's how you fix a fight today. You fix the judges. That's why I stopped watching boxing and paying attention to it. When George Foreman fought Axel Schultz in Vegas 20 years ago, Axel Schultz just absolutely knocked George's head loose. I felt the exact same way when Carl the Truth Williams. I kept watching. I quit watching about 10 years ago over one of those decisions. Mm -hmm. But when Carl the Truth Williams fought Larry Holmes, I think in 85, 86, Mm -hmm. I thought he won that fight. Yeah. And when the fight went to uh, Holmes, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. Well, I was just like when George Foreman. George Foreman's bleeding out of both eyes. His head looks like a potato. Axel Schultz really doesn't have that much damage to him because he was he was the aggressor. He was the winner. And then they called the fight for George Foreman because it was in Vegas. It was his one of his farewell fights, you know, and I was just like, man, this is ridiculous. Yes, Holmes was getting long in the tooth, mm-hmm. and um, it wouldn't be too long after that, I think, that he ended up just calling it quits. But oh. he was still champion, Yeah, and he fought Carl, oh yeah, he fought Spinks not too long after that and lost that fight, which, that's debatable too. I don't think that fight was fixed. Uh-huh. I just don't know that the judges were particularly competent. Uh-huh. Because... My dad didn't like Holmes. He didn't want to see him get the record. Yeah. 
so he and Spinks <coughs> originally being from St. Louis, dad was all Spinks. Uh-huh. And at the end of that fight, we looked at each other, and we're both like, ah, I think Holmes took that. Yeah. And then we, <laughs> we heard Spinks won it, and Dad was happy because he was not for Holmes, but yeah. at the same time, he was like, I don't think he won that fight. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't think he won that fight either. So, but the... Um, to me, there was always a stigma with being a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that is different now that kayfabe. Because to me, to my mind, the reason I was thinking about this, and you could tell me if you disagree, I think one of the reasons Dad didn't like it was that he thought two of his kids were fooled by this. Mm-hmm. We knew something wasn't quite right, but we enjoyed it. Exactly. You can turn off your brain, eat your popcorn, and enjoy a show. Same thing with, well, you know, my dad, your uncle. What did he always say? Ah, racing that fake crap on yeah. TV. And we had to wait for him to go to work. So we- yeah, so we could watch it. <laughs> yeah. Your mom would let us watch it. He wouldn't let us watch it. Right. But I think that might be what irritated both of them, because they were always talking about that fake crap, is they thought we were somehow fooled by that. Yeah. They didn't realize, no, we enjoyed it. Now that kayfabe is over and they've said, yes, it's all a work, uh-huh. Now nobody's trying to fool anybody anymore. There's no stigma around being a wrestling fan. No, huh? It's just another form of entertainment watched by a much smaller audience than ever used to watch it. Right. But it's just another form of entertainment. So I think that's one of the few positives that came from that is now there's not such a stigma around it that you're some dupe or fool or dope. Yeah. We knew things weren't quite right. Mm-hmm. And there were things that we couldn't ignore, but for the most part, we tried to. And I mean, let's face it: the first time you and I ever saw a WWF match, we just looked at each other like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> exactly. Was that when uh, Brad? I believe Brad Rangus was still in wrestling, and he was bouncing his head off the turn uh, off the turnbuckle, and the guy let go of him, and he kept on banging his own yeah. head. It was like, what is he doing? Yeah, you, you, you'd, after watching NWA, the first time you saw WWF, you were like, oh, yeah, this is all predetermined, <laughs> worked, and everything else. Yeah. The punches in WWF in the 80s could miss by a half oh, a mile. My. And, oh, look at that haymaker. He just laid on. <laughs> so I think that's one of the reasons that the stigma doesn't exist anymore. Uh-huh. But the other thing I thought that this documentary did a good job of kind of showing is wrestling before the end of the kayfabe era and the national companies anything mm-hmm. was sort of like a combination of the circus and the mafia. Yeah. It was a closed society that you had to really work to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you were in, you were expected to, because not honoring the kayfabe, smartening up girlfriends and stuff. Oh, yeah. Could get you in trouble with the other people in the business because they thought, oh, you're killing our business here. Well, that was like when uh, Shiki and Hacksaw, who were having these death matches every night, and then they get busted in the same car smoking marijuana and going to the next show. Well, why are these two mortal enemies riding together? Oh, my gosh, you know. And and that made a lot of people in the business mad. Yes, it did. Mm Mm-hmm. And, but I thought that was a great point that Brett made, mm-hmm. and it's something I've been saying for years. Why were they messing with the people smoking marijuana? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Testing for cocaine is great. Testing for steroids is great. 
but you start testing for marijuana and telling people they can't smoke marijuana, like he said, the guy smoking marijuana, they go back to the room, they mm -hmm. smoke the marijuana, and they go to sleep. Yeah. They're not messing with nobody. They're not getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. He said, but when you start testing for the marijuana, now you're forcing these guys to use pills, and they start using the somas and the other yes. crap that's, mm -hmm. you know, kill you. Um Jim Cornette talked about one time running into Davy Boy Smith at a hotel lobby, mm -hmm. and Davy was so out of it from a soma, he was talking, but none of the words came out in any kind of order or thing that you could understand. Uh, he was speaking English. Uh huh. Yeah. And he remembered seeing Jim, and he goes, "Jim, why didn't you talk to me?" He goes, "Davy, I did, but nothing you were saying made a lick of sense." Mm -hmm. And he said, "Oh, I took a soma." Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff, it was counterproductive banning the marijuana. I never thought marijuana should be a drug that any of the athletic places were testing for mm -hmm. because it's not a performance enhancer. Exactly. It's a it's a mind-altering drug, though. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and a, it's a downer. So other than raiding the refrigerator, for the most part, it helps these guys sleep, mm -hmm. and, you know. I think nowadays, don't they use that CBD, uh, CBD. extract for uh -huh, the oils? Yeah, uh -huh. for sleeping type stuff in that. Yeah, that's well. And like I said, as you know, I have a sleep sleeping problems at time, and uh, I was taking uh, CBN actually, which is another derivative of it, with uh, melatonin to help me sleep at night. So, yeah. uh, but I'm not an addict. I'm not <laughs> right. No, but I, I don't know that these guys were necessarily addicts. And if you uh, have social anxiety. Like the oh. uh, Diaz brothers do in uh -huh. boxing, or not boxing, in MMA. Yeah. That's what helps them function. Exactly. You know? So I, I just don't think that it should be a uh, something that they ever tested for. But he pointed out that didn't help anything. It actually made it much worse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because then people were trying to hide it, or hide the fact that they were doing it. Yeah, or taking other stuff that was far worse for them. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But... Where I was said it was like the circus, it was because a lot of the stuff that they did on the road was pretty reprehensible. Mm -hmm. And there there have always been a lot of con men, going back to the era I study, mm -hmm. there have always been a lot of con men. So back then, they were conning people when it come to the uh, bets on matches and stuff that were worked. Yeah. And working the match to enhance the betting so they made bigger money off the bets. Mm -hmm. In the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it was more guys, you know, conning girlfriends to take care of them and do stuff like that. Yeah. Or conning angels, as they would talk about them, you know. Yeah. People to give them money and, you know, pay for stuff and do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's always had that kind of... and. Give Vince credit for that. He cleaned a lot of that up. Now, taking it out of the smoke-filled arenas, that's garbage. Yeah. The smoking laws took things out of the smoke-filled arenas. I remember going to the matches with Vicky mm -hmm. in the 80s, and there'd be, you couldn't see the ring. Oh, yeah, because After of the about smoke. 10 or 15 minutes because of the smoke. And by the uh, uh, 90s, that was all banned. And, yeah. you know, you couldn't smoke in any arena anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, but he did get rid of a lot of those kinds of practices because if you were doing stuff like that, mm -hmm. you, were, you were gone. And um, I have a hard time watching Jimmy Snuka because He's after that dark side of the ring, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's hard not to draw any conclusion other 
then he got away with murder with yeah. Nancy Argentino. Mm-hmm. And when they finally were getting around to charge him, he was so uh, debilitated from dementia yeah. that he was not fit to stay in trial for it. Well, remember when he came but in, that he, is was the, a, he was a heel. Yeah, that is the most coherent interview. Well, my problem with it is he's a woman beater. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, Buddy Rogers pretty much put that right out there. Oh, my gosh, yes, he, he did. You know. He, he beat women uh, frequently. Mm-hmm. But um, that was the most coherent I ever heard him. Yeah. You know, I, that, I was shocked because most of the interviews I've heard of him since the 2000s, it's all gibberish like the warrior used to do, and you couldn't make heads or tails out of what oh, he was saying. Right. Well, you could actually understand him in this. I think that's not from being smacked into hell with a coconut on Piper's pit probably jarred his screws <laughs> oh man and that was a real coconut and that was a real coconut it was, it was not a gimmick it had coconut. not been gimmicked uh-huh. and Piper asked he goes are you is this okay with Jimmy oh yeah yeah Jimmy did not know he was going to uh-uh. get hit in the head with a actual coconut and you see when he falls back through there he's literally knocked yeah, his eyes are and when he comes up yes he's supposed to be but he is literally dazed and messed up. And they said uh-huh. he was going to go kill Piper. Yeah, he was. For doing that. Piper was smart enough to go, I'm hoping they told me the truth here, but I'm going to get out of here. Just <laughs> right. But yeah, he knocked him silly when he broke that. I mean, you've seen how hard those coconuts are. Oh, I can't yeah, imagine. I know how hard they are. Yeah. I, I'm actually quite surprised it broke yeah. over somebody's head. Mm-hmm. He had to I really, figured the head might break before a coconut. I was going to say, he had to hit him with some force, too. Hopefully they got one that was a little softer when they picked it out. Yeah. Man, mm-hmm. I, some of them things are hard as rock. Oh, yeah. You can't even get into them with a blade, hardly. You yeah. Know? You can't chop the... That was one of the more amazing things I ever saw in my life. I was like... <laughs> yeah. I go back and look at it now, I'm like, I cannot believe that broke. Right, yeah. But I remember when uh, Jimmy Snooker broke in, he was a heel. Yeah, and that, he was that, a heel for a lot of his career. And that flying frog splash off the top rope, nobody had ever seen it before. Yeah, It was something completely new and different. Well, you remember when he was first went to WWF in the 80s, he was a heel. He mm-hmm. was feuding with Bob Backlund. He jumped off the top of the cage and missed. Back yeah. then, it was Morocco. In that match, Morocco, I think, had already won, but... He slammed him, and he came off the top of the cage, and he landed on Morocco. But yeah. he missed Backlund. That's uh-huh. how Backlund won the match. Yeah. And he became a fan favorite, feuding with Morocco. Yeah. And he had some few uh, Bob Backlund, and I know this is getting up, but Backlund feuded with Snuka, Morocco, Valentine. He feuded with everybody. He was, yeah. Uh, Stan Hansen. Some of the best matches I thought he had uh-huh. were actually with Greg Valentine. Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> I remember that match where he got, they called it match because he was, his blood was pouring out of his head. I mean, yeah. and I don't know if that was a legitimate cut or if he bladed, but man, I mean, they made it. Bob Backlund was a great technical wrestler. And once yeah. again, not a big guy. No. You know, but, uh, and Greg Valentine held his own. And as far as physiques go, he had one of the better physiques of the 70s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. But again, he wasn't a bodybuilder. He right. looked like an athletic type guy you'd see out on the wrestling team. Or, yeah, or a track team or something like <coughs> that. Maybe a, a shot putter. Yeah. Mm. We were just talking about WWF. Bruno San Martino in the 70s. Oh, yeah. He held the world bench press record for a while at five 
565? Mm-hmm. Steroid-free. Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. And Bruno was a big, strong guy. Mm-hmm. But he did not have a bodybuilder's physique. Mm-mm. Now, when he was younger, I've seen pictures of him when he was younger. Mm-hmm. He was a little bit more cut, but not tremendously. Never. Bruno was never but he's, particularly cut, but he was very strong. He's big all those years. I mean, even when he was doing commentating, uh, I remember when... And you're ne- talking to a guy that's 5'10", 5'11". Yeah. Uh-huh. Weighed 275 pounds for most of his career. And then when he retired, he cut down to like 225. I thought he looked better in his yeah. 50s mm-hmm. than he did in his 30s. Well, remember when he attacked Macho Man after Macho Man yes. uh, rang uh, Ricky Robot's bell? That's one of my favorite moments still to this day. You're happy about this, you scum. And he uh-huh. chokes him. And tell you, I was like, Gee. Actually, I think he they believed it, but I, you're happy about this, you son of a... And yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, that was... Uh, Would you put a little mustard on a hot dog? Yeah. <laughs> you a piece of trash. <laughs> that was yeah, that was quite the... Uh, but Bruno San Martino, um, not a technical wrestler. <laughs> you know, we've, we've got to watch that. I'm going to look on YouTube and see if it's there. It's yeah. from October of 76. We've got to watch that match with Nikolai and, and uh, Bruno, yeah. That's the most wrestling I've ever seen Bruno do. Yeah. It was it was really good. Uh, actually, what um, and Nikolai Volkov was somebody who I did not appreciate when I was younger because I did not see him until I started watching WWF. Uh, and he was kind of a joke then. He was past his prime. Yeah, he was getting close to forty. Mm-hmm. But if you see him right before he comes to WWF, when he is in mid south, mm-hmm. it's a different guy. Yeah, and when you see him in the seventies, so. He was born in 49, so in 76, he would have been 29 years old. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a different package, number one, and I just have a lot more appreciation for him now yeah. than I did when I first saw him. Well, And there's several guys like that. So, first of all, I never saw Junkyard Dog in the uh, Mid-South uh-huh. or Hacksaw Jim Duggan in Mid-South. Yeah. So I never understood why people were all excited about yeah. these guys because I'm like, well, dogs and and Jim Cornette said it's the difference between seeing the fat happy dog mm-hmm. and the bad mean dog of, junkyard dog. Yeah, maybe really for real a junkyard because dog. he's a muscular guy and yeah. looks completely different. Mm-hmm. Looks like Superman. Yeah, and he didn't look like that when. Before or, or when he got to WWE, no, he was fat, and I mean, he was still powerful and still could wrestle, but he was not in shape. And Hacksaw Dugan, I just thought was a joke in WWE. I thought he was a ridiculous hillbilly that walked around with a two by four. But I had only seen him towards the end of his Mid South run. Mm-hmm. If I had seen him when he first came to Mid South, then I would have understood it a little bit yeah. better. Mm-hmm. So when you see these guys when they go to WWF and they don't work as hard and they don't do what they were doing in the territories, mm-hmm. you get a false impression of them, and then you're like, oh, wait, they were better than I thought they were. Yeah. And some of it, too, could be we've seen so much bad stuff. I had, I had quit watching wrestling. Yeah. Somewhere around 2009, 2010. Like I say, when Evolution came out is when I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, sometime around there is when I quit watching. And mm-hmm. the only reason I watched anything, one, uh, NXT was recommended to me. 
And who, I who, who recommended that to you? One of the guys I worked with. Okay. Because it was like the territories when Triple H was running it. Yeah. It's been destroyed now. It's not yeah, worth watching I was going to say. I, I, no, it's not worth watching now, but yeah. it was for a few years. Oh, okay. And Ring of Honor, I watched a little bit of it, but mm-hmm. I'm an MMA fan. I'm not really into wrestling anymore. Right. And I've watched more over the last year and a half because we're doing the podcast mm-hmm. and I'm reviewing stuff yeah. than I've watched in forever. Right. Um, because given a choice, like last night, there was a UFC. Uh-huh. So I watched that. Yeah. I didn't watch any of uh, Payback and really don't have any interest in it. I'm sure the Seth Rollins, Shinsuke Nakamura oh, match fast was pretty lane. good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's... What did I say? Oh, you said Payback. Oh, Fastlane, Payback, yeah. whatever. Crown Jewel, whatever. Yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, a bunch of uninteresting matches and Roman Reigns wasn't on the card. Yeah. But... I just, I wouldn't be watching now if it wasn't for that. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. So. Well, then, like I told you, it's like I just let my uh, subscription to uh, Peacock expire because why? Everything, yeah. I can watch it on YouTube, and yeah. like I said, I don't watch any of the premium live events anymore. Yeah. Because it's it's the same people, I mean, you know, it's. And one of the things I was going to say anyway, I'd like to keep it on YouTube anyway. Yeah. That way the, I know that the listeners can see those. Yeah. Uh-huh. Whereas if you don't have Peacock or you're not listening to it in the United States, you might not be able to get right. the match yeah. we're talking about. But if it's on YouTube, you'll be able to get it. Right. Uh, one thing I do want to point out, and I know this isn't, uh, uh, if you want to see a good match, YouTube, it's Luthez versus uh, Buddy Roberts. And uh, it's black and white. I tell you what, great uh, technical wrestling. Buddy Rogers. Uh, Buddy Rogers. I'm sorry. I said Buddy Rogers. <laughs> that threw me for a second. I'm like, boy, that must have been later in his career. Uh, I'm sorry, Buddy Rogers. <laughs> um, I don't know why I said or when he was, Or when he was Dale Valentine. Right. <laughs> Is right. this, I think, um, I think our buddy's coming. Oh. so We're getting ready to have a guest in the studio here, so we're probably going to have to. <laughs> close up here pretty soon but um do you have any final thoughts on 350 days just you know it shows the rigors of the road and how you can't you can't have a family life really and like you said if you have an addictive personality something's going to happen you're going to get addicted to drugs alcohol and it was just um like you said in territories driving 400 miles to entertain these people that hate you. Greg Valentine was a great, was a big heel in any territory he's ever been in. They hated him, you know, but he still went with it, you know. All right, now we're really back. Can you say (laughs) hi to everybody? No, no. Okay. So, but you were just saying that with the 350 days, that with that kind of lifestyle, if you have... Tendency towards addiction or, you know, want to have a family. All that's going to be very difficult. Exactly. Under those circumstances. Exactly. And that's what I said. If we were, when we were aspiring wrestlers and aspiring towards that lifestyle, no telling where we would have ended up. Uh, you know, I, I used to have quite a uh, uh, a fondness of my uh, ales and uh, my mixed drinks. Uh, I have sensed got away from them for uh, quite a bit and uh, I know you was never really uh, addicted to anything so well I saw the evils of alcohol Mm -hmm. up close at a very young age 
So I, I told you, I think, I, and I think I announced this on the podcast, that my next research project is on the early years of Ed Strangler Lewis's career. Yes. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I had thought about from previous projects, every time I go into a project, I have assumptions that get proven wrong. Mm-hmm. And things I thought were true before I start researching it, and I realize, oh, yeah, that really wasn't the way that was. Mm-hmm. So... Relax, baby. Uh? Yeah. If you hear little noises every oh, once in a while, no. not. <laughs> it's just commercial. It's fine. It'll be up in a second. So if you hear a noise every once in a while, that's my grandson. But anyway, I put the assumptions in the intro this time. So then the reader can discover, like I do, as we go through, right. what assumptions were right and what assumptions were wrong. Mm-hmm. I thought that'd be a neat little twist for for this project. Yeah. So. Baby. <laughs> really? Whoever thought we'd have computers yeah, on our yeah. our hip? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that a two year old be able to operate it better than better we than can. I can. Yeah. <laughs> so we just stopped for a second because my grandson was teaching us how to use the phone. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, so that's what I, I'm going to do for this particular project. Okay. So I don't know. Do you think we beat this subject to death enough? I think so. And like Why? I was going to say, you know, I don't have any projects in the fire right now. Um, still kind of uh, getting used to my new uh, lifestyle that I have to live uh, because of uh, some medical uh, issues. But we're getting there. And uh, pretty soon, you know, it'll be it'll be just like, you know, a bit daily part of life. So Yeah. But I just, uh, like I said, I'll just be, uh, you know, self-employed and, and trying to expand my business. And guys, if you ever need to, uh, you know, uh, get bored, look up Red Hawk, uh, Red Hawk Mercantile. <laughs> there you go. So I think that, um, and since this is episode 36, the next episode will be episode 37. Uh-huh. That's the one I think where we're going to go over that match I told you that was like five hours long. Okay, Because yeah. I think that's a good illustration one of the most frequently asked questions that I've had over the years is when was wrestling worked? And the answer to that is from the very beginning. As long mm-hmm. as professional wrestling has existed in the United States, there have been worked matches. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, more of them were contests before, say, 1915. Mm-hmm. But they started working from the beginning, and a lot more matches were worked than we thought were. Yeah. But... People will ask, why did the matches start being worked? And there are a number of reasons for that. One was less risk of injury, mm-hmm. so you could wrestle a lot more. Yeah. One was, as promoters started to develop local promoters, they wanted to control things. Uh-huh. Money is always at the root of every explanation. When you're working matches, mm-hmm. you can also control the betting and make a bunch of money. Yes, you can. Which I think is really the original reason they called wrestling fans marks. Uh-huh. But one of the biggest reasons is legitimate contests can be long, inconclusive, and boring. Almost kind of like uh, bare-knuckle fights. Yeah. Some and of them it, go 120 rounds. <laughs> yeah, and if you have a long, boring, inconclusive wrestling match, mm-hmm. you run fans off. Yeah. So wrestling... Would have had a very difficult time becoming a spectator sport mm-hmm. if it was like amateur wrestling with no real time limits. Yeah. Because it would just go on forever, which is what happened a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And this match is a 
perfect example of that. So we're going to talk about the uh, H.M. Doofer match from, I think it was 1880. No, it might have been 1878. It okay. was 1870s or 1880s. Yeah. And we'll talk about that on the next podcast. Okay. So until the next podcast, I'm signing off and I'm saying take care, everybody. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Can you say bye? Bye-bye. That's a big no. So Connor <laughs> says bye as well. Bye, everybody. See you. <laughs>